It's a day of freedom for the world with President Obama being re-elected to the White House. But who cares? This is the 12th episode of the FBR cast. Time to look at all that has happened in the world of and around fantasy books for the past period of time that we've been gone because we have no schedule whatsoever. But first, what are you drinking, Ryan? Scotch. I like scotch. Okay, is it is it just? This is actually a. Um, this isn't actually any old scotch from the bottle. This is a limited edition Ballantines that my in-laws got me for my birthday. So I finally cracked it open. I'm not allowed to take it with me to America, so I guess <laughs> I have to drink it now. Oh, a horrible, horrible fate. I, um, yeah. I'm not putting it in the fridge either. Yeah. I'm on the other hand. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I'm drinking ridiculously strong lemon cordial because I can. And I can drink lots of it without any side effects. I'm like you. <laughs> Except sleepless nights. Shut up. I like to I like to give my niece red cordial and shake her up and then give it back to her mum. <laughs> I bet she loves that, doesn't she? Oh, she does, and I'm sure she'll pay me back in the future. Yeah. I think I'd help her. Now though, <laughs> it is time to jump into the weekly news and there hasn't been a lot. Um the last couple of days has seen something, but apart from that, there hasn't been a whole heap of news out there. But the 2012 World Fantasy Award winners were announced. We've been looking at the uh, fantasy book nominations and awards for uh, a few months now, and we mentioned the nominations for this set of awards earlier in the year, and the winners are out. And I'm personally surprised that Joe Walton didn't walk away with the win on this one. Uh, best novel went to Osama by Lavi Tadar. Yeah, I'm also surprised at that. I thought uh, Joe Walton was going to get the clean sweep of awards for this award season, but uh, from all accounts, it's a well-deserved win for Lavi Tadar for Osama. Um, I haven't read it. I've got it on my to-read list. It's been there for quite a while now. Um, I've got I've got a bunch of Lavi Tidar books that have been sitting there on my to read list for a while now, and um, oh, I suppose now it is won an award. I guess I should read it. <laughs> That's probably fair, and I I'm probably fair, um, probably fair to read all the nominees for the fantasy world fantasy awards. Um, I who won it last year was it Nyeki Nyeki? Um, I can't remember her last name. Won it last year, and I'd never heard of her before, and. Yeah, it seem, seems like uh, the World Fantasy Awards, they like to uh, buck the popular trend and um, you know, they have their own criteria and they stick to it and good on them. Yeah, it's it's nice to see a, a wide variety of books nominated. We've got Martin and King, um, Stephen King and George R. R. Martin both nominated, as well as Joe Walton and Christopher Buellman. Um, but Osama walked away with the win and... Um, it, yeah, it, it looks like an interesting book. There's not a lot of popular praise for it if you um, just trundle around that, the, the Amazon stores and stuff like that. But 
I'm assuming that there's a lot of critical praise for it. Yeah. Um, in terms of other winners, um, the best novella went to A Small Price to Pay for Birdsong by K.J. Parker. I mean, we've talked about K.J. Parker a couple of times on the podcast now, and it's good to see he or she get recognised um, here through the subterranean novella that was released last year. Um I'm sure that we'll figure out one day whether KJ Parker is, you know, a real person, whether it's a pseudonym for JK Rowling or not, which is the popular, uh, that's the popular rumor going around at the moment. Um, I'm interested to read this. I'm interested to read this novella. Um, I do like KJ Parker, whoever it turns out to be. So, um, Glad to see that one win over some of the others. Yeah. Um, short story, Ken Liu. I'm not familiar with any of Ken Liu's work. Um, the Weird as the best anthology edited by Anne and Jeff Vandermeer. I mean, Anne and Jeff Vandermeer seem to put together the best anthology for fantasy every single year, so no surprise there. Um, best collection was Tim Powers. Again, I'm not familiar with any of Tim Powers' works, but... Um, Obviously, it was deemed good enough to win an award here, so... Though it was published by Tachyon and Subterranean Press, who I have a lot of regard for in terms of the material that they're putting out. Yeah, they seem to be able to pick and choose some of the best stuff. So, you know, Tim Powers obviously looks like uh, a writer to watch out for. Mm. Um, Best artist, John Coulthard. Again, I'm not familiar... The thing about the World Fantasy Awards is that I'm rarely familiar with a lot of the winners from these, at least in the past three years. They've all ended up being people who are completely new on my radar. And when I go and do, and I do read all their stuff or I view their artwork, I go, wow, this is really good. Why have I never heard of them before? Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's a, we just miss out on all the hype down this way. I think that's probably part of it. Also, um, a lot of the time, the winners are not necessarily the popular winners, and we often hear about the popular winners. Um, publicists are wanting to see their books sell, and they go with the popular author. And I, for me, I rarely ever come across um, names or um, titles that I've heard of on these lists. So, Yeah. So the, the other three awards, uh, there was a special award professional for Eric Lane, for publishing and translation, who did the Daedalus books. A uh, special award for the non-professionals was it went to Raymond Russell and Rosalie Parker for Tataris Press, and a lifetime achievement award uh, went to Alan Garner and George R. R. Martin. Which... And, that, and that last one wasn't any surprise. We announced that in probably one of the first podcasts we did, but very deserved either way. Yeah, so uh, it's a big congratulations here to all of the fantasy, World Fantasy Award winners, and I guess that's the last big award for 2012, isn't it? Aside from the Fantasy Book Review Awards, which will be coming out soon. <laughs> the biggest so of them all. They'll be, they'll be the biggest ones of the season, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, waiting for the, um, for, I'm waiting for the bribes to start rolling in any moment now. Um, as I mentioned, there hasn't been a lot of news. Um, there are bits and pieces across the board. Um, one small thing that we think people should go check out, uh, fans of Brandon Sanderson, 
will be very pleased because he, at a recent con, uh, did a bit of a reading from book two of the Stormlight Archive. Um, he had a bit of a chat to those around him, um, told them a bit about the process behind writing this uh, book, um, how it's come in his um, timeline of, of writing stuff, where it came in his Wheel of Time work, and it, uh, it's a, it's definitely something that uh, Brandon Sanderson fans are going to want to check out. Um, he's a good reader too, so it helps that you can actually follow what he's going on about. Another one that we think people should go check out is, for fans of Neil Gaiman, the cover art for um, his new novel, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, is now out. And as is always the case with trying to describe something visual on an audio medium, this thing looks great. You should go see it. It's awesome. Don't you think it looks great? Yeah, it's a nice cover. It's... um Unfantasy-ish, in my opinion, uh, very stereotypically um, mainstream fiction. I suppose to uh, give a bit more of a description than what we were giving before, uh, it you've got a young girl. But the whole cover is seems to be set from an underwater point of view. You've got a young girl who's just plunged underwater. She's blowing bubbles, and the bubbles are heading towards the surface. Um, there's lots of ripples, lots, lots of stars. Um, it's a very, I don't know, would you say a very modern type of cover? Very modern, very um, yeah. going for a popular sale. Um, this is going to be a book which is going to be stacked and displayed in the middle of uh, bookstores all over the place and this is a cover that's designed to grab the attention of of everyone not just the person looking for a, a sword on a front cover yeah so i mean if the if the massive text saying neil gaiman doesn't get you to pick it up then the the rest of the artwork on the cover will probably get you to pick it up uh we'll put a link to it in the show notes and you can go check it out considering that the neil gaiman takes up about a third of the cover uh, yeah i think people will probably notice um, lastly, and it's just a small bit of news that, uh, took place over, I think it was last week. Um, I don't know who will have actually heard about it. Um, probably the, probably the smallest news of the week. I don't know if it rates a mention. Yeah, we really had to struggle with how we, um, worked through this script this time, but we figured we'd throw it in just to, uh, fill out the news section a little bit. Um, Disney bought Star Wars. Um, haha, we're hilarious. No, sorry. It's. Um, this is real. This is happening. Disney actually bought Star Wars for $4 billion. $4.3 billion to buy uh, Lucasfilm off George Lucas, and it, it was big news. Yeah, um, big news from geeks, nerds, and ev- everybody, um, everybody's been talking about this for the last... When, when was it announced? Was it Thursday? Yeah, it was last week sometime. It was last Thursday, so it's so it's been the news has been out for about a week now, and people are still raving about what this means. Um, you know, Disney, known for their merchandising, are they going to overly commercialize Star Wars, which itself is probably very commercialized already? Um, you know, what it, what is the end game here for Disney? Yeah, they've bought a very, 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 very popular intellectual property here. Um, how are they going to use it? Are they going to abuse it? Are they going to do it justice? 
Um, these are all the questions that are being asked all around the internet, and I don't know. I thought we we could at least discuss um, how this affects the books, um, at least the expanded universe. Um, it's I, a fascinating um, talking point, and it's not just across the internet. I've spent the last. Uh, we've just had a long weekend here in Australia, or at least I have down in um, Victoria, and I've spent the last weekend just fielding questions left, right, and centre from all my friends who know I'm the nerd and say, "What should, should I be worried? Should I? What do you think of this? Should should I be worried?" And um, this is one of the biggest deals I think we've ever seen in um, mainstream uh, business uh, f- since. Um, anything to do with Apple, pretty much. And it's not just the the movies. Um, Disney are walking away with Lucasfilm, uh, LucasArts, the people who make the video games, uh, Skywalker Sound, who do a lot of sound for a lot of people, and uh, Industrial Light and Magic, who are pretty much the number one uh, special effects house in Hollywood. Um, and so should I be worried? Yeah, well, at the same time, um, they announced that they were going to be doing movie number seven, and I don't think that there is any immediate cause to worry. Um, there is actually wonderful precedent for this. Uh, Marvel are current... Uh, sorry, <laughs> I blew away the punchline. Uh, Di- Disney are now the, um, the care holders of several very big properties, uh, The Muppets, uh, Pixar and uh, Marvel uh, have all been picked up by Disney over the uh, over the years, and in every case, Disney have done nothing to impede the individual development of that property, and in most cases have actually helped grow. All you've got to do is look at the Marvel case. Um, a lot of people were worried that. Um, the comics would start to deteriorate in quality. Um, who knew what was going to happen? Uh, a few years later, Marvel are, I think, on top of the charts um, for the most part, and they just released the Avengers. Um, and so Disney have been uh, wonderful caretakers of these properties. Um, people are split pretty much 50-50 down the middle on this. Um, I think what people need to remember is that George Lucas now has less control, less input, um, and on top of that, he um, it's now possible for people to disagree and ignore um, his comments. Um, it would be interesting to have pushed this deal back a decade and seen what Phantom Menace might have been like if George Lucas had input but no creative control. Um, I think, for one, we probably wouldn't have had Jar Jar. I think the um, pod race would have been about five minutes instead of half the bloody movie. Um, Yes, well, you have to remember that Jar Jar was was less about the story and more about showing off the puppetry animation um, that they had just mastered, and it was really good animation, like top-of-the-line animation, but... Yeah, Jar Jar had no place in the story. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it because for any number of kids at the time of Phantom Menace um, coming out, um, Jar Jar and the Pod Race, and not so much Jar Jar, but definitely the Pod Race, are the favourite bit of that movie. 
Um, and so there is a certain age gap that's um, at play here. Um, yeah, it, it, and it's similar to how I feel about the Pixar movies, that you know, the older I get, the less impressed I get with the Pixar movies. And it's probably because I'm getting older and they're still aimed at the same age type of people. Well, that's because you have no heart. I I have plenty of heart. <laughs> um, one of the things that I'm interested in seeing is how they do go about the expanded universe. Now, um, the immediate implication that people um, had for the, the expanded universe was, oh, yes, they're finally going to do the Thrawn storyline. Um, that we're going to see Mara Jade in this movie 7, blah, 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 blah. Um, according to Lucas, uh, that's not the case. Um, according to pretty much everybody, that's not the case. Uh, we won't be seeing Thrawn, I don't think. Um, I don't know if we'll be seeing Mara Jade. I think it would be um, probably a mistake if we didn't. She's too popular to leave her out. She's too good a character as well. I mean, um, on the other side of that, though, is we've been told that we're getting a new original story, so we're not going to be seeing any adaptation of any previously written story, so no comics, no no novels, no computer games turned into movies. Um, it will be interesting to see where they go with this. It will be interesting to see what counts as new story. Um, if you've seen Mark Hamill's face recently... Um, that's not something you really want to see on a big screen. Um, mm, it's not uh, something you uh, want to uh, see on your on your phone screen, let alone a you know fifty times real life. Um, those actors are old. Harrison Ford is old. They are all very old now. We've lost certain people. Uh, Billy D. Williams just rocked up on NCIS the other week, and he was totting around as a um, an old person on the show. Um, it's I feel that it is unlikely that we're going to be getting a story which at least revolves around Luke, Leia, Han, and them. Um, I I can see them being in the story. Yeah, I think so. I think that's about the best we can do. And and um, I do I do remember interviews with George Lucas years ago when he was talking about you know seven, eight, and nine and when it would likely start filming and he he said back in the back in the 90s i think it was that if they were going to do it it was going to have to start filming around 2011 2012 so that that was his prediction based on the script that he'd written um that the, makes sense yeah the the script that we've um that we'll be getting in the movies is based on work that lucas has done he's provided the treatments to the new head of lucas film and those are the the works that we'll be seeing turned into 7, 8, and 9. Um, look, let's be honest, um, the first Star Wars movie included a very old man. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi was old. Uh, sadly, for um, Mark Hamill... Um, oh, well, crap, what's his name? Uh, who played Obi-Wan? You're talking um, Ewan McGregor. No, not you, Gregor. The, the original Obi Wan. Yes. Why? I f I'm sorry to everybody listening that I did not know this off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, it's, his name was Alec Guinness. Yeah. And he was an absolute master of an actor and has was involved in some very funny and dramatic movies through his career. Um, but he was a good-looking man even at that old age. Um, can't say the same about Mark Hamill. Um, he's getting to look Mark more Hamill like... Mark is he, a great joker, though. 
Yes, he is. That that means we don't have to see his face. However, I, like to be honest, I think um, Mark Hamill looks a bit more like Yoda than he he'll ever look like um, Mark the, the, um, Alec Guinness. Um, so what the movies end up being, I can't really predict. Um, what this means for the expanded universe books and comics, however, I think that's an entirely different question. I think um, Marvel, oh, bloody oath, I keep doing that. I think that Disney are going to keep their hands off in the same way that they did with Marvel Comics. They um, helped with the film part of Marvel Comics, but they left the publishing arm alone, uh, maybe injecting a bit of a financial boost every now and again, some advertising revenue, something like that. I'm not 100% certain about the finances behind Marvel at the moment, but it does provide a bit of a um, precedent as I mentioned before, for how they might treat this similar uh, media entity, which uh, includes video games, comics, books, and movies, um, and not to mention TV and cartoon. Um, I think we see the publishing arm of um, the Expanded Universe, so I think they're done through Random House. I think we see that left alone. Um, I, I can also see... While um, I expect it to stay with Random House for the near future, um, Disney does have their own publishing house when they partnered with Hyperion or they buy Hyperion. Uh, it's still it's called Disney Hyperion, so um, they can you know, if they want to, they can just once all the rights have finished with Random House, they can pull all the books and republish them with their own publishing house. I mean, they've got a professional publishing house there. They've got the capability to do it. They'd make more money doing it. Um, they own the IP, so and whether I think that a, means anything, um, maybe, maybe not. I think a lot of people's careers at Random House are based around the Star Wars universe yeah. as well, so it would not be a complete surprise to see an actual um, trade happen there uh, where um, Disney take certain members of the Random House staff uh, who are focused on the Star Wars property, take them into their own uh, publishing house and spin out an entire um, separate arm of the of the Disney Hyperion. We've seen stuff like this with Star Trek, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Star Trek has gone through at least two hands, maybe three, um, for publishing their novels. Um and while the quality has always changed with each house that's dealt with that content, uh, it, it it's a pre- it's once again a precedent of um, what happens in situations like this. So I think you 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 could very well be correct. I I think um, there are benefits both ways for Disney um, having um, such a such influence in a completely separate company such as Random House may be beneficial for them. Whereas, as you said, the financial benefits for themselves may be better if they drag the Star Wars Expanded Universe in underneath their own publishing arm. And again, on top of that is they've already got themselves a comic publishing arm. And so could we possibly see the Star Wars stuff brought in under Marvel? Um, it's an, it, the, These are interesting thoughts. I think the um, underlying belief at least that i have is that the um the stories the the timeline the 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 authors and the editors the the showrunners the for lack of a better phrase will be 
um, left alone for the most part, I think, um, to keep doing what they're doing. While I think there may actually, on top of that, be an injection of, let's try something new, or let's get some fresh blood in here. Yeah, well, they've got $4.3 billion to make back, so they, they're they going to make sure... I think they're going to be making sure they don't stuff up. Well, one because thing that's, about, a, that's a lot of money to make back. Well, one thing about that that's interesting is um, $4.3 billion on uh, to make back, considering how much some of the movies like Avengers have made recently, they're probably going to get... Uh, like a quarter or a fifth of the way there with the release of the first movie in 2015. Um, on top of that, Disney are making, I think it's like $30 billion a year in cash profit. Um, and so, so just loose change, right? Yeah, $4 billion was loose change for Disney. They're, they're, there's no concern about immediately making it back. By, 20, by 2020, they'll have made it back and probably doubled and tripled that figure across the... And by then, we'll probably only have two movies out. Um, and so I think financially, Marvel are just... Uh, Disney are unfussed. I don't think they're looking at it like that. Um, they can probably make the money back solely from the um, the movies and TV shows. Anything like, like the books and the comics is just going to be second-level, third-level third, third profits and... And they may simply say, we're happy with where it is for the moment. Yeah, so I guess uh, the short of it is, this is a great acquisition for not only Disney, but for fans, because we're finally going to see some fresh and innovative stories told in the Star Wars universe. Um we're going to get a movie seven that is not an episode seven that's not controlled by George Lucas, and you know we're we're gonna at least I hope that Disney pursues more movies. Like there's talk of the Boba Fett movie that's been talked about for so long. Where you know they may take expanded universe stories and make. TV shows out of them. H, could you imagine a HBO series about the Thrawn, like based on the Thrawn series? That's pretty much everything you do these days in this podcast. Is every time we start talking about a new um, product, you say, "Imagine a HBO series about insert phrase." Yeah, it's not a bad theory either. It is a great theory. <laughs> and I'll, every time something comes out, I'll just go, "Well, look, they did it for Game of Thrones, so it must work." And they're doing it for American Gods, so... Yes. If American Gods is successful, then everything should get a HBO series. <laughs> everything. Everything. <laughs> Every book ever should get a HBO series. Including mine! Um, you hear that, HBO? <laughs> I'm selling cheap! Speaking about books... That's a terrible segue, but we're going to go with it anyway, and um, time to look at what we've been reading um, what we are reading, what we've been reading. Um, You've been reading a lot. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. If you could see our script, everyone, you'd see that um, I'm I'm outpacing Ryan by a by a bit. I've been posting your reviews. I know how much you've been reading. <laughs> You're posting my reviews, are you? I did wonder who was doing that these days. 
Um, so I, um, a few weeks ago, I was having a bit of trouble uh, reading anything at all. I just, I was, I've been busy with a lot of work stuff. And so I'm like, I need to read. So I thought I would read some short stories. And so following on from the last uh, discussion episode of, of FBR cast, uh, Ryan was speaking about Isolation by Dan Wells, and I picked that up on my Kindle, and I read that, and I loved it. Brilliant book, um, which sadly left me wanting more that hasn't been written because what's been written is appears to be um, soap opera-ish teenage without the war and robots that I wanted. And that's yeah, fine. No, you're not wrong. And I could probably is, still enjoy it, but it's there, just There not is fun. war and there is robots and and there's a lot of drama and it's a lot of teenage girl drama. Um, well, teenage girl like drama partial. is better than teenage boy I like drama. partial. I, I got through partials on the basis that Dan Wells is an excellent author who hardly puts a foot wrong. Um, and... I'm really looking forward to book two in the partial sequence because it's more partials and less soap opera from what I've seen so far. And it, it, you get a sample chapter at the end of Isolation. I don't know if you read that, but no. Yeah, that was that was pretty good, and that had absolutely nothing to do with partials. So you could probably go ahead and read that and get excited for the second book. I think I'll be waiting to see what you think of uh, the second book in that <laughs> series, and I'll either pick it up or not. Um, I also jumped on Legion by Brandon Sanderson, which you, you'd also read, and I love that. Sanderson really nailed that story. Um, I picked up a, a couple of anthologies, um, Magic, an anthology to the... Oh, sorry. It's uh, called Magic, an anthology of the esoteric and arcane by Jonathan Oliver, um, and also Swords and Dark Magic by Jonathan Stran and Lou Anders. Two great anthologies, and from that I've been reading a few... Um, few great short stories including party tricks by dan abnett um which everybody has to read and in the stacks by scott lynch which i was so good just reading scott lynch again i just started reading like oh there he is um there was a a story in the magic one called the wrong fairy by audrey niffenegger i doubt i'm pronouncing that correctly but it was it was mediocre it wasn't bad. It felt like someone had said, Hey, Audrey, you should try writing fantasy. That'd be fun. <laughs> and she said, Oh, I'll try that. It's, I don't think it's her. This wasn't her greatest work. I also read Goats of Glory by Stephen Erickson, which is, is a great short Stephen Erickson story, which tells a complete story, which is obviously set in the middle of 48 other ones. And I read World of Pooh by Terry Pratchett, which is pretty much a little kid's book um, all about Pooh. And you wander around Ankh-Morpork with this young man and you find out all about the different types of Pooh from different animals. And it's beautifully illustrated and you just got to find that if you're a Terry Pratchett fan. Um, speaking about Terry Pratchett, I also uh, read the majority of his... Uh, collection a blink of the screen uh which is a collection of his short work um there are some fantastic pieces in there and if you want to read more about um that i my review is up on the site for that and um it's it's worth buying that book just to read um 
uh, the little little fishes in the sea or something like that. I can't remember the exact phrasing. Um, the other day, Monday, I interviewed Joe Abercrombie, and in preparation for that, I had to read and finish Red Country. Um, and that was a really good book. I was really pleased with that. I know a lot of people might have disagreed with my earlier review of um, Best Served Cold. But I absolutely loved Red Country. Perfect mix of um, really grim, gritty, dark characters with just enough light to make it um, make me not want to slip my wrists like I did in Best Served Cold. <laughs> um, and because I needed just a break from reading stuff that I have to review, I read Carpe Jugulum by Terry Pratchett. It's one of my all-time favorite books, and I sped through that in a day. And it was just nice to be able to read something that I didn't have to review and that had no responsibility whatsoever and is just a brilliant read. And so if you haven't read Terry Pratchett, yeah, I'd all... say pick up that one. I'm, I'm also on the Terry Pratchett bandwagon here. Um, I read probably about a month ago, I, I bought Where's My Cow for my one-and-a-half-year-old niece. Yep. And... She loves it. I don't know if you've read Where's My Cow. It's a great it's, book. Yeah, it's a children's story about Sam Vimes telling a story to his um, son, and it's absolutely fantastic. And my favourite bit was, what noise does the cow make? And I was like, sizzle in the pan. Or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Or what, what, noi- what, what noise should a cow make? Sizzle, sizzle, sizzle. And I'm going, can you say that? Uh, Terry Pratchett's fantastic and these uh, um, Where's My Cow and World of Pooh are both uh, children's books that have stemmed out of Sam Vimes stories um, where he he encounters these books and reads them to young Sam, his son Um, Before I I, I let you tell me about your two books um, I'm in the middle of three books myself at the moment, I'm reading um, Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson um, which is really enjoyable. Uh, it's it's nice to be able to um, step back into a Sanderson world with his amazing uh, magic building systems, um, and it's a great story too. It's really interesting the 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 ambig the ambiguities the ambiguousnesses. There's a word there somewhere yeah. of these characters, and it's really clever. Um, I'm also reading Dodger by Terry Pratchett, which is just great to be reading Pratchett again. It's not Discworld, which is a bit of a pity, but it's written just so beautifully. And I've picked up um, Shadowgate, which is book two by Kate Elliott in her Shadow Something series. And I look, I, I, I think I must just have been at a point where I needed to treat myself. So I thought, yep, I'm going to read my three favorite authors who aren't Tolkien. So it's Sanderson, Pratchett and Elliott, and I'm having a ball at the moment. Excellent. Well, um, I haven't been reading a lot. I've been preparing for my move to the States, so it's been a matter of trying to fit in some reading where I can. Um, I've got a couple of books, though. One I'm reading at the moment is called Diamond Eyes by A.A. Bell or Anita Bell. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I just got that one. I can see why she called herself A.A. Bell rather than Anita Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway her story diamond eyes is about a young girl who is able to see echoes of the past um she's a blind girl and can't see anything else except these echoes and uh, she'll go into a place and she'll see it how it used to be 
um, and she'll see it entirely in blue and shadows and not much detail. Um, she's been telling people that she can see these echoes of the past and people have just called her crazy and she's been institutionalised and uh, has become crazy because of the institutionalization. But you got this one guy who believes her and he wants to re- rehabilitate her, get her out of the mental asylum so he can then use her powers to prove that he was innocent of a crime that he was jailed for in the past. So it's a very well-written novel. Um, I think at times it gets a bit too clever and a bit too smart. Um, they start going off on, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but it's not quite like science, you know, when you're reading a science fiction and they start getting into all the, all the science, you kind of accept it, but mm. here it's kind of, it's it's not pretentious, but it's like a step back from that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, you it's not making a show of being really clever. It's just be, being clever and not realizing that you're alienated. I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe, but there's some points where you're sort of reading it and you're cringing going, yeah, you could have told me about all that stuff or you could have just given me a bit more story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, Clever, clever stuff for the sake of having clever stuff in there, rather than for the sake of the story. But you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, uh, that's. It's a small part. It's a small criticism. It's something that I notice, probably because of the way that I read and the type of books I like to read. Um, and when I see someone being really specific about something like psychology or things that are grounded in the real world, I start to pick holes in it. And I start wanting to research it and ask questions. Do you think that's true? Is that right? Did you research that? Because that doesn't seem right. Yeah. When, if it's completely in the fantasy world, I can completely divorce myself from that. I don't have to worry about questioning it because it's all completely made up. I don't, yeah, I don't have to make that distinction. Um, and th- this is a, this is a, kind of fantasy. I mean, you got this girl who can see echoes of the past, so I mean, at some point you have to suspend your disbelief, but yeah, I don't know, if you're if you're grounding your story in the real world, then you need to make sure the real world stuff that you use, you make sure you get it right. Yeah. And I think and she's got it right for the most part, but because she's so specific all the time, you it makes you question, you know, is that right? Is that right? Oh, I don't know. And that takes you out of the story. Then you're completely out of the story and you're busy trying to figure out if what she said was right or not. Yeah. Now, this yeah. book that you have read, um, I've just read your little blurb here. It, it sounds fascinating. Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, the book's called The Assassin's Curse by Cassandra Rose Clark. It's... Um, one of, I think it was like the fourth or fifth novel that was released by Strange Chemistry, the um, young adult imprint from Angry Robot Books. And it's, the synopsis I've written here is that it's about a young girl who runs away after her parents try to marry her off to a rival clan. 
And then the rival clan, having been sh- shamed by the actions of this girl, they decide to hire an assassin to go kill her. And anyway, the girl's running away, and then unknowingly, she saves the assassin while he's trying to um, kill her. And by saving the assassin, she initiates a curse that binds them together. So she can't be more than a certain distance away from him without him killing over in pain and same thing, he can't be a certain distance away without her killing over in pain. So they're, they're physically bound to each other by this inability to be separated. Um, yeah. and it's a, it's an impossible curse that can never be broken, but they're decided to go find a way to break the curse anyway. Um, the setting is very much an Arab, you know, Arabian Nights, Aladdin, um, very Middle Eastern style setting, very Middle Eastern style magic with, um, everything's very deserts, lots of deserts, lots of sparse cities, um, out in the desert. And, you know, you feel, you feel like you're reading like Simbad or something <laughs> like that. Um, except you got a young pirate girl instead of a young pirate boy. Uh, this is a really good book. I, really enjoyed it and then we got to the ending oh it was bad the ending was really really bad which and it was unnecessarily bad but is it a standalone book no so it's it's the beginning of a series then it's the beginning i think it's a duology right i I read somewhere that it was a duology and what made the ending so bad was it it ended with nothing being resolved. Okay. And so you went through this whole book. They set up a whole bunch of plot lines and everything was progressing really nicely and you're going through and you, I was really enjoying reading the whole thing and then the last 25% of the book just completely stalled. It just stagnated and all I got out of it was... Uh, the last 25% was just set up for the second book. Mm. Nothing got resolved and yeah, I've seen, I've seen other, I've, I've looked at other reviews online to see if other people thought the same and the, the reading community seems to be split about 50 50. The people who liked the ending gave the book five stars and the people who hated the ending gave the book one star. It's because finding middle ground is just boring. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those polarizing endings. That, you know, it's either you see that ending and you get really excited for the second book, and oh, how will I ever wait for the second book? And I find out what actually happens in the story, or you like someone like me who goes, I didn't get an ending. That <laughs> really annoys me. I think I, ending. I just read this whole book and I didn't get an ending that annoys me. I think I'm going to have to pick this up because I generally <laughs> don't mind those sorts of endings. And, uh, yeah. and the story is fascinating to me. It sounds absolutely absolutely brilliant, so I really want to have a look at this. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I tried to make mention of that in my review and I, I tried to... Um, so I, I don't think my review's been posted online yet. Um, it's just sitting in the queue, but it's... It's one of the things I mentioned that for seventy five percent of the book I really, really enjoyed this and I tried not to let the ending spoil my entire experience, but 
it's the last thing I read, and <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard not to. Whenever I think back on it, think about ah, oh, yeah, well, yeah, and I mean, Cassandra Rose Clark. She's obviously a very talented author, and she's got another. Um, she's got a uh, book coming out with the parent company, Angry Robot. Angry Robot books um, in February next year or March next year um, called the Met, the Mad Scientist's Daughter, which was which is about it's kind of like Bicentennial Man, a guy who um, creates a robot to look after his daughter. Um, I've got my um, advanced review copy of that, so I'll be starting on that pretty soon. Um, and and I'm excited to see where the sequel goes to the Assassin's Curse. I think. The set, like, as much as I really despised the ending, it's set up things really nicely for a second book. I just, I, it really gets up my nose when people use a whole book to set up the second book. It's, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we've all I, got, I don't know if you feel the same way, but. We've um, all got our pet peeves when it comes to writing and, yeah. and, and novels and stuff like that, so. Yes. Oh, that sounds fascinating. That's definitely a book I want to keep my eyes out for. Um, and that's it for us. That's a show. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, I As don't always. Know, I don't know how to end this, actually. <laughs> I'm going to try that again. <laughs> that's all right, because we've recorded a new ending. Hey, yeah. guys, guess what? We've got a new ending that we pre-recorded. Yay! Bye! <laughs> um, alright let's try that again um, I have no idea how to end it but uh, let's talk about what we've got coming up yes right and that's it for us today um, thank you very much for joining us um, we have a lot of content coming up for you that you are going to love over the next few weeks and months we have at my interview with Joe Abercrombie coming up Hopefully this time next week, um, hopefully we'll have that edited for you and up on the site. And there is more to come after that as well. <laughs> yeah, I've also got uh, my interview with uh, Anita Bell, which I'm hoping to get up in a couple of weeks. Um, following that, we're planning on getting Lee, the um, the owner of fancy book review he's going to come on and have a chat about um important fancy authors with us uh we're also planning on having a couple of panel discussions with um a couple of authors um we're going to look at horror in um fantasy we're going to look at some dark fantasy and like we're even going to have a look at uh c.s lewis oh and the one thing we also mentioned at the start of the podcast um that we're going to be announcing our Fantasy Book Review Awards for 2012. So our favourite books for the year, um, our best best debuts for the year, best author debuts for the year, um, might even go into different genres. I don't know. I haven't even figured out what we're going to talk about yet. I think um, one of our reviewers, Jasper, has come up with a really good format, so we'll probably follow that. It should be a fantastic finish to the year, and 2013 has some fantastic stuff as well, so you will not want to step away from the FBR cast feed for more than a week or two at a time. 
It has been a pleasure. I hope that you will join us again sometime soon as we gather together and talk about the best in the world of fantasy. All right, see you guys. For show notes and links to the music we use by Bart Stoop, please head on over to fantasybookreview.co.uk. You can follow the show on Twitter at FanBooRev and at Facebook at FantasyBookReview. And you can follow Josh and Ryan on Twitter at Josh S. Hill and RyanL1986. You can, and we hope you will, email the show at blog at fantasybookreview.co.uk. Thank you.